Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community, a place of shared liberation, joy, and belonging. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Okay, we have two hymns to, uh, to, to tackle right at the beginning. One's a real fun one. The other one's even funner for completely different reasons. The first one is called, Where Do We Come From? Would you say that with me? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? It's a good question, right? <laughs> yeah, well, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> so, um, so the poet, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, the painter, uh, Paul Gauguin, um, grew up Catholic for a long period of his life and, uh, and became, over the course of that life, something more that we would consider um, something like a humanist. Um, at the end of his life, his very last painting, this was painted in, uh, in Tahiti, and the painting was very large. It was called, Where Do We Come From? What Are We? Where Are We Going? As Paul Gauguin, at the end of his life, contemplated his whole life and made his own theology for much of his life, these are the questions he wound up with. And they're the questions that we ask ourselves now and every day that we live and breathe. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Okay, so the reason that we're still seated, everybody but me, is because uh, I'd like you for you to make use of your feet, the back of your feet, if you can help keep a beat. I'll keep, I'll keep the one um, that makes your head turn a little... You may try it if you like. It's fun, but it's a doozy. Good. This is where the tune goes, right? Here we go, here we go. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? 
where are we going? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Good, good. That's the whole thing. I think we can add one more part as we do this one more time. Right? That's how you make it louder. <laughs> okay. I'll keep that doozy again. Here we go. Last time through. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Last one. Where do we come from? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where are we going? Okay, we're rising for the next one. The next hymn is 298, Wake Now My Senses and Hear the Earth Call.
you. Franco, you know how I know there are five verses to that, because the fifth is my favorite. That's how I always know. Mm. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to this community of beauty and connection where people have been coming for generations for nourishment, care, and inspiration. Welcome to you all, both online and in person. My name is Lori Stevens and I am the ministerial intern here at First Universalist Church. <clears throat> it is a joy to be leading worship this morning with Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, Franco Holder, and Reverend Karen Hutt. Welcome back. Unitarian means we are one. Universalist means all are connected. Each one of us is welcome and wanted, whole and worthy just the way we are. And all of us have room to grow. Here at this church, we believe in the spirit of love and hope. We trust in the cycles of giving, receiving, and growing together. And we act with humility, courage, and compassion to create a more just and equitable world. Here, we make room for ourselves, our entire selves, including our bodies, which sometimes need to move when others are still, or be still when others are moving. Our bodies are different, and we trust you to know and take care of your needs this morning in this space. This is a big space, and all are free to use it to move around, to come and go, to let yourself and your young ones roam. Children are welcome here. All their sounds and movements are part of this holy time together. If you are new to First Universalist, special welcome to you. Please introduce yourself to us after the service. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about other ways to get connected. From this space of connection, we remember that we are transient beings on this earth, and that this place in particular was inhabited for thousands of years and is inhabited still by members of the native nations of this land. And we commit ourselves to learning the larger stories of all the people and beings of this land, to truth-telling and to repair. Now, let's welcome ourselves and each other to this space taking a moment to breathe together on purpose, to feel our bodies, how they touch the earth beneath us, to look around in wonder at this moment, this morning, together, and to connect with our eyes and our smiles with each other. I invite you to take a moment and look around and give each other some, some nice happy morning grins. <laughs> Good morning. I will invite Dr. Glenn T Thomas Rideout up to light our chalice, and I invite you to join me in saying our chalice lighting words. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to speak the truth with love, and to help one another. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. We gotta hold everybody. 
We gotta hold everybody up. Next one is we gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. Your turn. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. So the first one is we gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. Your turn. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. Hold everybody up, up, up. Hold everybody up, up, up. Hold everybody up, up, up. Hold everybody up. <laughs> we gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. 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 We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. 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 Last time, last time, last time. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody. Yep. We gotta hold everybody. We gotta hold everybody up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Up, up. Hold everybody up. Hmm. And after that rousing <laughs> little number, I'm going to invite you to settle a little deeper into your body and into this moment. So that we can all find a stillness. Find a stillness. Hold a stillness. Let the stillness carry me. Find a silence, hold a silence. Let the silence carry me. In the spirit, by the spirit, with the spirit. Focus your attention on the parts of your body which are closest to the earth. Scan your attention slowly upwards. Find a stillness, hold a stillness. 
Focus your attention in the center of the body, where air becomes breath, where what is not you becomes you, where the line between blurs in a flow without ceasing. Scan your attention slowly upwards. Focus your attention at the top of the body, where feeling becomes thought and thought becomes action. Let us find true harmony. Now that we are present in our bodies and in this moment, let us hold our attention in loving openness to embrace the joys and sorrows of our community and the world. We also lift up the complexity of experience and needs of the many people of this congregation. While some are thrilled that our mask requirement is over, we recognize that this change presents challenges for some folks as well. First U will continue to make opportunities for online and outdoor community, such as gathering under our beautiful tent, so that no one is left out or left behind. If you are ever in need of the care of spiritual listening, please get in touch with the ministers of First You. I invite you now, all those gathered, both online and in person, to speak into the space or the chat, either your name or the name of loved ones who could be held in the care of community. With these joys and sorrows and all that remain unnamed on our hearts, we are together with you. And together we hope and work that the grip of addiction be loosened, that the chains of oppression be broken, that grief might be shared, that joy might break through, 
and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. A little more than 30 years ago, the first Unitarian Universalist congregation of Ann Arbor, from which I moved, I didn't move from there, I lived at a, in an apartment, but I moved from working there. Their director of music before me was uh, Sarah Albright, and before Sarah was Bill Albright, the famous ragtime composer. And they commissioned him to craft a hymn commemorating the 125th year of the church. Bill wrote Hymn 158, setting the commission of American theologian Thomas Traeger to this angular, brazen anthem. 158 it is. Goes, praise the source of faith and learning that has sparked and stoked the mind. With a passion for discerning how the world has been designed. And the text urges on. May our learning curb the error which unthinking faith can breed. Lest we justify some terror with an antiquated creed. May our learning curb the error of which unthinking faith can breed, lest we justify some terror with an antiquated creed. My friends, in Unitarian Universalism, we inhabit a faith tradition which calls us to derive wisdom from our desire to know more, to see more, to be more. And so we celebrate the lifelong learning that challenges us to be open-minded, open-hearted, open-spirited, to change our perspectives with new wisdom, to give new language to the songs of our faith. And in doing so, we change lives. We offer each other the opportunity to embrace the courageous act of singing with language that embraces us in return. 
We teach our children the deep freedom that thrives in a community that favors discovery over dogma, learning over lip service, the maturation of wonder over the deferment of dreams. We teach ourselves that unlike so many uh, parts of Hennepin Avenue and Nicolette, the road to progress is not closed for construction. <laughs> that our songs are precious but not yet perfect that the work for freedom and justice is rich with possibilities and that on and on the circle's moving. I invite you to the hymn, 158. Praise the source of faith and learning. Would you rise? Let's sing.
Friends, in a moment, the ushers will come to receive the morning's offering, and I invite you on behalf of the community into the practice of generosity, good giving, and good receiving, as love shows us how. It is not enough to give alone. We must be willing to receive from each other in humility, in compassion, in love for ourselves when the time is right. It is not enough to receive alone. And money is not the only way to give of yourself to a community, to a relationship. These two work in partnership. They are the food of love. When we give and receive to our neighbors, to our friends, to ourselves, we nourish that bond between us and that, my friends, is called religion. Now, if money is your gift, I invite you to place money in the basket because money is one of the things that runs the community's home. But it's not one of the things that runs the community. Be sure to give of your time and your heart and your good smiles and your name. If you're not in a place to give right now, uh, please know that your presence is a blessing here. Please let the basket pass you by. That's our gift of hospitality. And if you are in need of monetary assistance, financial assistance, our congregation saves the resources so that we can be of help in those situations as best we can. You talk to me, you talk to one of the ministers, um, we'll get that conversation started for you. In all the ways that you give, in all the ways that you get, in all our getting, let's get understanding that in this relationship of giving and receiving, we find true harmony. The ushers will now receive the morning's offering. I invite you to give generously.
I guess I can begin. Thank you for my cue. Before I start, I think we would all be remiss not to stop and acknowledge the work, the focus, the clarity, the speed, the commitment of the Democratic Farm and Labor Party and our fellow citizens that passed one of the most sweeping, human-oriented legislative sessions in the history of Minnesota. I am proud, after living here now for eight years, to call myself a Minnesotan. And looking around the country, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I don't know about you, but some mornings I get up, get my coffee, and turn on the news and keep it kind of low. Or I look at the headlines intentionally with one eye a little bit closed. Or when I see my phone, I do so carefully as if it is a bomb about to explode in my hand. I don't know about you, but what used to be extraordinary has become ordinary. What used to be unthinkable is the everyday. And what used to become unbearable, we have adjusted ourselves to it being acceptable. As Childish Gambino says, this is America. A radically changed and highly charged political atmosphere has taken hold of our country. We can throw our hands in the air, and as another hip-hop artist said, wave them in the air like we just don't care. We can do that, or we can shake our heads, or we can gesticulate all we want. But something is happening that many of us have never seen before. And many of us could not imagine. And for a few of us in this room, what we are seeing is reminding us of something we would rather not remember that we saw a long time ago. But for the young people that stood on this stage just a week ago, just a week ago, for those young people that graduated, this is the only America that they have known. This is the only America they have ever known. They have never known a world without those headlines that make us cringe. For them, this pre-fascist state is normal. It's normal. Yet, here we are, 
here we are, the humans who call themselves, many of us, not all, but the humans that call themselves humanists, a people holding on to the ideas and believing and hoping and envisioning the potential of doing what is good, doing what is right, doing what is decent, and what is just. But then we look at other Americans around the country sitting in pews just like this today, right at this hour, and they too are wanting to do what they believe is good and what is decent and what is just and what is fair and what is right. And it's the exact opposite of what you believe. The notion that Americans can harmoniously and productively coexist has come to seem more like a quaint fiction than an actual reality. The idea that Americans can have civil conversations with members of different political parties and orientations appear to be from a Jimmy Stewart or Tom Hanks film script. The evidence that the majority of Americans, if given a chance, would fight to preserve the common good for all over the comfort of a few, the evidence for that is slim. Show me the evidence. Yet, these are the aspirations of humanism. These are our aspirations. No matter what flavor of humanist we are, humanism is a philosophy. We are a people without supernaturalism. We are people who affirm our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment, community fulfillment. We aspire to the greater good of humanity, guided by reason, inspired by compassion, and informed by experience. Reasonable. Ours is a view of the world as it is, a view of the world as it was, and a view of the world of what it might be. And it's what it might be because of us. Now given these fundamentals of humanism and the current fundamentals in America, my question today at this time of heightened animosity and aggression is this. Have our nice words our pretty values and small d democratic principles become irrelevant? Are they merely utopian fantasies? Or are they now more urgent and necessary than ever before? Today I'm going to take you on a train ride. I want you to go on a ride with me. Okay? Buckle up. Come on now. Buckle up. This is a humanist train. Okay? All right? So we're going to get on a train ride. Now, there are three different passenger cars. Work with me, okay? And they're all linked together. 
And they're all kind of humanists on this train. And each car has its own kind of flavor, its own kind of style. They're all different. Now, the first car is decorated very tastefully. Wood paneling and good rugs. It's a little parochial, but the seats are comfortable and plush. This is the boomer humanist car. <laughs> this is my car. <laughs> it's a little pedantic, a little academic. Some of the jargon in this car that you hear in conversation is a little obscure, and they love to talk about the great canons of revolutionary humanists of the past. They understand the nature of humanism is to question, upset, and reform. Question, upset, and reform. Question, upset, and reform. For the folks on this train, in this car, humanism is personal. It's personal. And it's not attached to any particular theorist or practitioner. But there are pictures of people around. There's John Dewey on the wall, Noam Chomsky, lots of famous UUs. Now, they have a snack bar, too. <laughs> and at the snack bar, they're eating bread, you know, really good bread, um, a lot of cheese, and lots of good wine and sherry and pork. This is my car. And they have no pithy definitions for anything. Pithy is not in their vocabulary. They say they're free thinking and they're hopeful. They're good people, they're good folks. By setting aside all thoughts of the afterlife, these humanists focus on making the most of their earthly existence, putting happiness above all as they traverse the good earth and seek to mitigate suffering where they can. In this train car, you can hear them reading. Sometimes you can hear them reciting the 19th century American free thinker Robert Ingersoll, his poem, Happiness is the only good. The time to be happy is now. The place to be happy is here. The way to be happy is to make others so. You look into the faces of these folks in this car, and you can see in their eyes that they see a world that is yet to come. The second car in this train is designed a little different. Lots of bright colors, some hip hop music playing. That is not the place. That is the very end. That, that's the, the end. The last one. Sorry. Forget you saw that. I'm going to go back. Where are we now? We're in what car? All right. Very good. Paid attention. Love it, love it. We're in the second car. Lots of pretty bright colors, hip-hop music playing, and lots of dreadlocks, okay? There are pictures of Lorraine Hansberry, the 1990s humanist rapper, KRS-One. If you haven't heard of him, go home and look him up. 1990s humanist rapper, KRS-One. 
There's Norm Allen pictures and Zeta Smith and posters from organizations like Black Nonbelievers and Latinx Humanists and Biracial Jewish Reconstructionist Buddhists. It's louder than the other car and the furniture is different. The snack bar has ramen <laughs> and kombucha and kale chips. They're rooted in the humanism of the landscapes they occupy in the communities of color. They are bravely standing up to, in black spaces asking why does prayer have to start meetings all the time. They are deconstructing white supremacy's hold on black people with Christianity and oppression. They are reason-centered, scientific-focused, and rooted in the here and now. This is the Gen X millennial BIPOC humanist train car. They also see themselves through a lens of independence, social entrepreneurialism, and community nation building. That's their call. Most of these humanists grew up without religion, so they've created rituals of belonging to celebrate their humanism, which is not solely defined by the word. Their conferences stress the relationship between the historical context of their conditions in America with the quest for human dignity. They are also making international connections with the 220 or so African, Latinx, and Asian human organizations across the globe. You look into the eyes of these folks and you see in their faces that they see a world that has not yet come. Now, there's a third car here on this train. And you look in this car, you see that they're getting ready to do something. It looks like they're practicing for a demo or they're playing Twister. You can't tell which is which. You can't tell. This is the Gen Z humanist train car. They have pictures of Greta Thunberg and, and the Tennessee Justins on the wall and Bernie Sanders and Maxwell Frost and Senator Nina Turner from Ohio on the wall. Having been born into anti-human policies and school shootings every week, they are seeking humanity in our culture that they have never, ever seen. Their humanism stems from creating social change through high volumes of advocacy, pointing out the obvious lack of kindness, decency, and humanity in a world that they have never seen anybody lift a finger to really make major change. For these young humanists, they may not even call themselves humanists, but they are the generation that will lead with similar tactics and philosophies that are more similar to the greatest generation when they translate theory into action. Organized labor came from the greatest generation, and who is organizing labor today? Gen Z. In this train car, they sit on the floor sometimes, drink smoothies in their personal blenders, take time, take time to take care of their mental health, understand work-life balance, 
aren't obsessed with materialism, know they must work together collaboratively, and they read books like Humanist in the Hood, and they practice what they call culturally relevant humanism. And when you look in their eyes at these folks, you can see in their eyes that they see a world that has not yet come to be. Suddenly, the train derails because a truck, a truck, <laughs> a truck, a truck, a truck, a truck, a truck has crossed the track. And this truck is not unlike the truck that crashed into the White House last week with swastikas inside of it and swastikas on the outside rammed through the White House two, three, four times. That happened last week. A truck, imagine, derailed this humanist train. The train comes to a slow stop, derailed by more than that truck. The train is like our country right now derailed by policies, hatred, fascist violence for its own sake, all forms of anti-humanism, anti-intellectualism, and anti-woman policies, anti-child policies, anti-trans policies, anti-gay policies, pro-authoritarianism. Oh yes, this train has been derailed, but so has America been derailed. Now, when the humanists from these three cars get off the train amidst all of this derailment of America, and they begin to mingle amongst one another, they begin to talk, they're like, oh, what was that music? The boomer, boomer train says, what was that music you, you Gen X's and millennials were playing? That, had a, that was hip hop music, but it had an old Joni Mitchell song underneath it. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> then the boomer, uh, then the Gen X sees the Gen Z humanist in the hood. They said, can I take a picture of that? I want to order that. <laughs> and then the Gen Z asked the boomer, who had a button about something about Vietnam and says, were you there? What was that like? And then the conversations become curiouser and engaging, authentic, and nonstop. They can't stop talking to one another. There are bells going off in people's heads and connective tissues being woven between ideas. You can hear people saying, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, okay, yeah, Howard Zinn, that was your professor when you were at BU? Yeah, okay. I read the People's History when I was in seventh grade. Man, I never forgot that. Yeah, oh, I never considered that, really? Well, we should think about maybe working together on that. Okay, 
then come the high fives. And then you look at all of these faces, all of these different kind of humanist faces, and you can see in their eyes that they all see the world that has not yet come to be. They realize that the power that they have together to confront these issues, to confront these horrors, to confront this fascist, horrible, racist crap that we have to fight, they believe that they can imagine the world with the skills that they have, with the potential they have to collaborate, they realize that the movement they could build together can change this country with the aspirations of humanism, with the power of a multi-generational, multi-racial movement that they have not yet seen. <laughs> finished. I ain't done. Friends, humanist values can be really easy when it's just me doing my thing <laughs> and everybody stays out of my way. <laughs> We're all pretty good humanists until another human being enters the room, right? We know that line, right? When all those other humans enter, that's when it all gets tested. But it's also where our full power can be unleashed. Humanism is going through some things, and that's a good thing. It's being enlarged, challenged, reshaped, humbled, and transformed as it should be if we believe in evolution that we say we do. Humanism has been humbled by human failure. <laughs> And we've learned to make room for doubt and awe within ourselves. Embodied humanism lives beyond words. Humanism is a way of life. And as my colleague, Dr. J. Exodus Hooper says, another black UU humanist, he said recently, when we take a stab at trying to make change, I don't know that I'm necessarily always interested in like-minded folks as much as I'm interested in the like-hearted folk. In other words, it's one thing to agree cognitively with one another. It's a whole nother level to agree with them on that deeper level of like-heartedness, of lifestyle, of embedded values. So friends, in these three trains, there is collective wisdom, and the potential of collaborative endurance to push through what we are fighting against because we are in a fight. We are in a war. And those three train cars of humanists can uplift, support, and encourage each other in the battles ahead as they exchange old practices and mix them with social accountability and build this humanist movement. Finally, the new train comes, but there's only one car. <laughs> it's bigger, so they all had to go get their stuff from the other trains. So the boomers go get their little cheese and bread. And they get their smoothies and their ramen and their kale chips. 
and they all pile on the train together. But there's one thing that's going to be a problem. They don't know who's going to be the DJ. But I think that it's going to look something like this. And this is what happened. If you don't know, that was, um, that 38 seconds TikTok was the inspiration for this sermon today. That was Justin Johnson, one of the Tennessee Justins who was taken out of the state Senate and put back in, and Joan Baez, who ran into each other in the airport and sang that song. Gen Z and the greatest generation. Blessed be, amen. We know.
benediction is a little bit of a story about history. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, but I want to call it what it originally was called, which is Decoration Day. Some of you know, how many of you know what Decoration Day is? Raise your hand. Just a few of you, but gosh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I want to remind you that tomorrow is a day that is one of the greatest stories in its original form of the inherent worth and dignity of everyone. Very simply, you can look it up later, go to the New York Times archive, go to the Harvard archive, you'll find the story. May 1st, 1865, the Civil War is uh, coming to, is, uh, is over. Charleston, South Carolina, Confederate soldiers dying in a racetrack in Charleston. They are all basically diseased and beaten down and hastily, many of them buried by other Confederate soldiers who are on the run. The planters are gone. Everyone is gone. It's just the black people that are left. They are now newly freed. The Union soldiers come into town. The first regiment is a black regiment. The black regiment sees how hastily these graves, this mass grave has been, and they were disgusted by it. They dug up all the Confederate soldiers and reburied them in a row. Dignified, honored, and said that we will not let even a soldier that we were fighting against be buried in such a horrible manner. Black Union soldiers, now just freed for their service in the Union, buried Confederate dead dug them up and reburied them properly. And then all the children in the town gathered flowers and came and decorated the, days, the graves. And then everyone, all of the black folks in town had sermons and some of the white folks gave sermons and they sang patriotic songs that day. That is the first Memorial Day. Please remember that and share that story with others. And most of all, as a benediction, ask yourself why you didn't know that story. Blessed be. Let's sing one more time. Until we meet again. Where you go, I will go. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. If you find spiritual sustenance from this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. If you're able to join us in person or online for Sunday worship, we'd love to welcome you. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.